You're listening to the Million Dollar Sellers Podcast with your host, Nick Shuket. Today's show features another amazing entrepreneur who has found success online. Now, let's learn what it takes to be a million dollar seller. All right, MDS podcast listeners. So I just got done recording with John Hefner, co-founder of Thrasio, a uh, billion dollar company, uh, Amazon aggregator that owns more than 200 plus brands on the Amazon platform, uh, $85 million in EBITDA in Q4. Uh, and John at one point had managed uh, 600 plus employees himself. Um, so this is a great podcast to listen to if, if you're, uh, you have a couple of Amazon brands are looking to scale your company, uh, or if you're an Amazon seller looking to uh, sell your business as well. Um, lots of great stuff in here um, on team building, uh, creating a great company culture, uh, surrounding yourself with those people that are going to help grow your company and allow you to get out of the way and focus on what you are good at doing. Uh, so highly, highly recommend you guys check out this podcast. If you're looking to understand how someone who uh, helped grow a company with 1500 plus people in a year has managed 600 plus people himself. If you're trying to understand how they think, how they approach uh, difficult situations, uh, how they train people, um, you know, this is going to give you the insights into uh, a guy that's done it and is continuing to do it. And a lot of his success has to do with the way that he thinks and how he approaches difficult situations and how he focuses on empowering those around him uh, to make good decisions as well. Uh, so like I said, if you're looking to scale your company, this is a podcast you do not want to miss. And if you're an MD, if you're a seller, uh, you're going to want to hear this one too, to kind of understand what uh, aggregators are looking at and what things you can do to be prepared uh, when you're looking to sell your company. And if you're just interested in uh, mindset and how someone approaches uh, these great things that Thrasio has been able to accomplish, uh, then this is a podcast you're, you'll want to listen to. All right. Welcome to the MDS podcast. I'm your host, Nick Shuquette. Today, we have a great guest on the show, Jonathan Hefner. Uh, John, it's, it's great to sit down and chat with you, man. Always great seeing you at events. Uh, so how's it going today? Uh, fantastic, man. Good to be here. Nice, man. So you into uh, any interesting like daily routines now with the new year, uh, doing any daily meditations or anything like that? Uh, I wouldn't say that I'm really a, the meditative type, uh, but I have been doing some of the uh, um, Wim Hof stuff nice. recently. Right. And uh, like I, I am a believer in like really hot saunas, uh, particularly this time of year and, and this sort of like um, how your body body reacts to exposing itself to extreme temperatures on both sides. Um, right. so doing that. And after a long year of travel and cocktails, just spending a little time off, uh, from that and getting some good exercise, good sleep to hopefully have my body survive another year of it as it comes up, uh, 
starting you know in the next month or so here right on man i know uh i'm I'm into quite a few of those things and i know a lot of members in the group are as well i've been doing a little bit of cryotherapy myself uh recently i've been doing the chamber versus the water but i think the water is the way to go have you been in one of those chambers before i haven't been in, in one of the chambers but luckily i live in the northeast so the chamber yeah. is just outside <laughs> yeah <laughs> i hear you on that man um, well, man, it's, it's great to have you on the show. I haven't recorded in, in, uh, a little while. It's been like one or two months. So it's great to get back on here with, uh, you know, such an interesting person. I've had, uh, the pleasure of meeting you a couple of times, hanging out with you in person. And, uh, you know, I think you kind of have that, that vibe where you can kind of captivate the audience and really inspire people. I, I like to call it kind of like the John Wayne, Clint Eastwood vibe. I guess is how I look at it. Uh, so <laughs> well, you, you realize you've just set me up for like utter failure on this podcast, <laughs> but that hype game you just did. Too, right? yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it was in Jackson hole when I first met you. So the cowboy vibe was already there. You got it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, man, for those that don't know you yet, like, why don't you introduce uh, yourself, like how you founded uh, and take part in Thrasio and, and what you have going on uh, there at the moment. Sure. Yeah. Like, you know, I always love, um, in anything, a good origin story, right. You know, like uh, if you watch any of the Marvel movies or I'm, I'm always interested in Peter Parker before he's Spider-Man or the moment he becomes more than I am like the, you know, destroying buildings or whatever they're doing after that. Um, so I, I'm always happy to tell this story, not comparing myself to uh, Spider-Man. Let's be clear about that. <laughs> uh, but, you know, for me, it's there. There's always these sort of serendipitous moments in life where things just sort of come together. Um, now, serendipity, I, I'll put a little asterisk to that, is also tied to making a series of proper choices prior to reaching that moment where you can take advantage of, of certain things. Um, but I, I always consider myself a very, very open person uh, in the sense of open to new ideas, open to trying things new um, and open to this concept that is like, if you want success, one of the, the key tenants you need to have is a lack of fear of failure. Um, so like, if you want success, you have to not care about success, something like that. Um, and, uh, and so because of that, I was always putting my hands in things that I found to be interesting. So in, in my career, uh, I've worked in, uh, magazines, I've worked in television, I've worked, uh, running and owning small businesses of all different types. Uh, I was in hotel and restaurant business. I've done, uh, pop-up antique stores, writing for of, of various degrees. Uh, I got a master's degree for no reason. I was just sort of going through the world, trying to figure out what the hell I was and what I was good at. And um, one of the things that became clear after a while was like, I was really good at sales. Uh, and I was really good at just understanding what it took to sell anything. Um, and, and so I was trying to like, all right, well, how do I, how do I turn that into something that's really a useful skill? So uh, I started some businesses, done pretty well with them, uh, sold a few, had some real ups and downs, just being a kid and learning how to do that. Um, got to a point where I actually met Carlos at a, at a cocktail party. Uh, and, uh, we just hit it off really well. He had, a, had a Facebook ad agency, uh, and maybe it was our first or second meeting. He was sort of kvetching about like, I have all these clients and they're blaming the traffic uh, on, on their outcomes, but really I think it's their branding. And I was like, oh, well, let me 
let me check it out. Let me show me a couple of your clients. So he showed me like three or four of them. And I was like, oh yeah, that's fucking right. That's wrong. I would do this, fix that. That's, oh, that's stupid. This is the way to do it. Like, how do you not see that? Um, and he was like, this is great stuff. Can you come in on Monday? Maybe talk to my team. Um, and I'd set up on my, my previous job after I, I, uh, sold the company was for an old client of mine. And I ran his, uh, sales and marketing divisions, uh, and kind of had put it on autopilot to the point where like, I was, uh, sorry, Jamie, I was working like 10 hours a week, <laughs> you know, like, uh, uh, and, and being paid, paid pretty handsomely for it. And so I had all this extra time. And so I just started working on some of Carlos's brands and then Carlos realized he was going to sell his company and we just enjoyed hanging out with each other. So I was like, all right, well, what are we going to do next? So we, we got samples. We we're going to start like a luxury pillow brand. We had ideas for like a ski goggle and sunglass brand that we we're going to run and sort of do an e-commerce play. And as this was happening, uh, a lot of clients started coming in to Orion and saying like, Hey, you know, I'm doing really well on my Facebook ads, but my Amazon's crushing it right now. And so that sort of like put this idea in our heads and Josh, uh, one of the most brilliant, one of the other co-founders, brilliant financial minds I've ever met, um, had had this idea of like a roll-up for a long time. So then it sort of came together. It's like, oh, well, maybe the, the roll-up is this Amazon thing. Yeah. Right. And um, because of Josh's experience, because Carlos had already done multiple exits, uh, we had access to uh, capital, both from them and from investors they were very close with. And we were able to start this experiment. Uh, at, at that point too, um, Stephanie Fox is our COO, was actually Carlos's first client at back at Orion. Um, and she had this really cool business. Um, she had a member in her family who had cancer. And so she did these, this company called Bravelets that uh, sold bracelets with little sort of like platitudes on them. And they would give money to charity. Um, she didn't realize that she gave too much away to charity. So that, that, that business was in flux. Carlos had sold his business. We were already working on this thing. And we really just sort of like hodgepodge the whole thing together. And December, 2017, right about the week before Christmas is when I opened up my laptop for the first time and Googled, like, how do you buy an Amazon business? Okay. So nice, man. Nice. I like it. It sounds like you guys kind of had like the, the recipe really needed there for this emerging niche, which is just so interesting when you think about what these big companies like Amazon create without even knowing it, right? You had all these, all these kind of side hustle entrepreneurs start to make like a crap load of money on Amazon. Yeah. And, and then, you know, selling the Amazon businesses starts becoming a thing, you know, but then, you know, there's, there's so much to running a business. And I think I learned this myself, like, uh, that you just don't learn just by selling on Amazon. So when you try to like go into this other world, like, you know, selling a business or, or something like that, there's all this stuff you don't know, this information and experience that you don't have. Totally. Uh, and it seems like you guys have just kind of like jumped in and filled that gap uh, and have allowed some of these uh, these entrepreneurs to do some some pretty amazing <laughs> things by selling their business. I think a big thing for us, first of all, it was, it was the combination of, of people and the opportunity in the market. Yeah. So you had Josh, who was one of the most brilliant business strategists and financial minds I've ever run into, right? And Carlos but all this wonderful experience already doing um, building and selling businesses and also has maybe one of the best networks I've ever met 
and just sort of a calm leadership demeanor. Stephanie is an operations hawk. She just loves details and controlling all that stuff. Um, and uh, I, I'm sort of like, a, I don't know, someone who's a, a barker on the Atlantic City boardwalk. Yeah. Sell anything, figure anything out, like that sort of thing. You put the hustler type guy. Yeah. You put all those pieces together and then you start adding uh, Brandon, who's amazing at marketing and a real supply chain expert. And we, we had this realization. The second thing was like, all right, we have this diverse set of talents um, and we don't know. There's a lot we really don't know. Yeah. So we're going to hire into the places where we're ignorant. And that was really the, the, what, what allowed us to buy and scale businesses properly was understanding we don't know a lot. And by the way, sellers who are awesome at what they do, they can't know everything either. So they're really good branding people. They had a hookup in China with supply chain or something that allowed them to succeed. And maybe they had a combination yeah. of things, but they were missing in other places. So the idea was like, well, if we can fill those voids ourselves, then when we acquire these things, there'll be an opportunity to, uh, to maximize their outputs over time. So that's the, that's the core thesis. And, and when we started, man, if, to go back to 2018, there was like website closes around empire flippers, a few other guys, quiet light selling these yeah. brands. And our competition was literally like an accountant in Ohio <laughs> who was retiring, right? There just wasn't, there was no base of a competitive marketplace um, until really news started getting out about our success. Yeah. And um, it led to this real kind of zeitgeist, right? That opened up an entire new market, which I think has been uh, incredibly beneficial for sellers everywhere, including members of, of MDS. No matter what, what, who you sell to, if you decide to sell, our hands are sort of on that deal in, in, a, in a passive sense because um, yeah. multiples have increased greatly since when we started. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, like you said, the market has kind of really just exploded. And I think last year, what I, I saw some metric, I think it said like 5 billion raised in that industry or some ridiculous number uh, yeah. in the past year. Um, so yeah, it's crazy how much they're popping up, man. And it's, it's going to be interesting to see like how it all plays out, right? You have this phase that's going on this transition where it was these single, you know, single person businesses, or, you know, maybe they had a significant other or a couple virtual assistants in the Philippines. And, uh, you know, they had their eyes on the business constantly. And now, you know, we've got people coming in with, with bigger pockets, but not necessarily that Amazon uh, experience or, or those uh, experienced eyes on it daily. Um, so I know, like, I want to talk about what you think about where the aggregator market's going for sellers and buyers, but I'm also curious to know how you guys are filling that gap of, of Amazon knowledge um, and, and continuing to grow those brands on Amazon. Yeah, I mean, our look at at growing our brands is, is based on a, a variety of factors. First one is just knowing what you've got. You know, you don't want to uh, force anything uh, where it doesn't need to be forced. So some brands that we buy, we understand exactly what they are. There'll be a coat hanger brand and there's nothing, has no sex appeal. It's just a utility product with tons of reviews. And that has a certain level of, of limitation to it. Um, so that is like, all right, well, now is their creative really good? Have they done sp sponsored videos and they know what they're doing there? Do they have Google optimized? Uh, you know, do they, have they worked long-term contracts out with their suppliers? And those are the levers we can pull for that brand. Okay. And then we might have another brand that sort of 
has some potential life to it outside of Amazon, whether it's in retail, whether it's direct to consumer, an appropriate fit for uh, an, an affiliate placements. And so what we do is sort of like an a la carte sort of approach to all the brands we acquire. And we come up with a plan to like, all right, well, how do we maximize value here? Right. Um, one thing we have that no other uh, aggregator has at any sort of scale is also a very massive product launch team. Okay. So we can take over a brand and within a year have new versions available, variety of variations and, and ways just to, to continue and stabilize organic growth there. Um, so that's, um, that's really how we approach it. And there's probably say 10% of our portfolio where it's like, there's something really special to this brand. One that everyone knows we own is, is like angry orange, right? you know, it was one of the first deals we did. Um, and I remember like, uh, I got off the phone with the broker, uh, he's not there anymore at Ross or empire flippers. And I like told Carlos, I was like, this is a hill I'm going to die on. If I'm wrong, just fire me, bury me out of the desert. I don't care. We're buying this freaking thing. I want it. And then I, I ordered it that night. And two days later, it came in from Amazon and I opened it up, took one sniff of it. And I was like, I was like, Carlos, you smell that? Cause I smell gold. Yeah. Right. And I just knew we had, I knew we had something. Um, and it just has this, like this vibe to it that creates interest that can compel people to buy direct consumer that will make people stop and be interested in it and in, 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 on retail. And so then you're like, all right, well, let's take some of our like um, top resources and focus on making this thing, whether it's a $2 million brand or $10 million brand into a hundred million dollar brand in the next few years. So it's, it's really just like, there is no one size fits all for any of this stuff. Right. Yeah, man, it's tough. Uh, so I like that you guys take that, that a la carte approach and, uh, you know, have been able to just be successful with that and like continue to scale and build out the team to continue to do that. Right. Cause I think that's hard to do, uh, when you have to be that, you take that unique creative approach with, uh, each brand, uh, that you're looking at rather than applying like a blanket approach, uh, to everything. Um, so that, that's awesome, man. I mean, what, how, how do you guys like build out your teams and like, you know, get, get enough people on an account, uh, you know, and hold them accountable, know that they're being successful and, and things are being ran the way that you guys want them to. It's immensely challenging. Uh, and one thing that I, that I was ignorant to when we started this company is, is now we're, we're north of 1500 us hires, right. Um, from four of us who started in that little office next to a Dunkin' Donuts that I can still kind of see out my window of my, yeah. my house right now, um, uh, is, uh, um, is how many times we'd have to restructure. Yeah. It's, it's really hard to, to fathom, to, you know, if, if you run a small business and you've taken it from even 10 to 20 people, maybe even 50, things kind of feel the same. You can always get communication with the person you need to talk to. When you become 1500 people, wow, it's just, it's immensely different, right? You know, like by the Dunbar principle, we're only really allowed to capture in our brains, 105 people as a community, right? Of people we know and understand and know how to engage with. Uh, once you go beyond that, um, you're not really connected. So, so how do you solve problems like this where, um, some, a, a creative brand manager wants to make a, a, a strong claim on a product and they put it on there um, because they found out from their supplier that uh, you're allowed to make this claim for whatever reason, right? Um, and the sales can go way up. But then that has to go through our compliance legal department 
whose job is to think like we want a hundred percent safety rate. Yeah. So maybe we'll not allow that claim to happen. So how do you resolve those sort of conflicts? Who gets to talk to suppliers and negotiate deals? Right. Um, how's the accounting handled? How, how are outside services handled from, um, from an agency standpoint or internal attached to team? Who's responsible for the P&Ls of each of these products and each of these brands? And how do you assign those things? Right. There's, again, that's, that's one of 75 questions you have to answer. And it becomes very complicated. And you build something that, that's functional. Uh, and you find out that within about a nine month period, you have to start rethinking how it's being built again and okay. tear it up and rebuild it. So for us, that con constant sort of like Phoenix approach to this whole thing of, of uh, tearing something down, not being afraid to burn off dead wood, um, rebuilding it, trying to get more efficient and taking that as far as it can until it breaks to rebuild is something we're constantly doing. And um, it's immensely uh, challenging tiresome, but needed. Um, so that was one other thing for us too, is like, we had to realize early on that uh, we did not have those skills. We had such amazing talent on our, our team of, of which I'm, you know, uh, moderately talented amongst that, that early, early group of people we have. Um, but we didn't have a lot of giant corporate experience. Okay. So we had to bring that in people who had, who had dealt with, you know, comms and communication across teams had built structures that, that, that can make a 1500 person company work had led groups of people that large. Um, it's been, uh, it's been daunting, you know, I mean, it's, I, we, we has been published that we were the fastest profitable company ever reached a billion dollar valuation in us history. Um, wow. whether that's true or not, like it was, certainly was really fast. Yeah. Um, so to deal with that, so the, you know, the, the changes that come with that, has been uh, an, an immense, uh, but rewarding challenge. Wow, man. Yeah. That's, uh, you know, I've, I've only experienced like a small piece of, of the puzzle that you just mentioned, man. And, you know, to be honest, like I couldn't, I, I didn't really have the discipline, motivation, consistency to, to continue to try to build out a team because I, I felt like I was just, you know, kind of banging my head against the wall. And then I kind of realized, I think you just kind of have to bang your head against the wall for a little bit yeah. <laughs> until you just bang the wall down. Right. And yeah. I kind of just, uh, you know, hiring man and, and training people, putting your time in and then they quit, you know, or someone takes them away or something, you know, something happens, man. I just, uh, that was the feeling I, I had to escape uh, yep. and focus on some other things, man, because, uh, uh, you know, I am the type of person I want to constantly optimize things. And I like how you guys had that target like nine months. You know, you guys are are tearing stuff down and rebuilding it and constantly optimizing. And I think that's so important, you know, in the, the digital entrepreneurship and the e-commerce space, because you just have so many smart people doing really great things, you know, honestly, in my opinion, and, and you got to keep up. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's interesting though, something you mentioned that, uh, when you have small teams, it's maybe, it's just not intuitive that you would spend a lot of time thinking about this. Um, I it's, it's employee retention and culture and how you want to, you know, live your business life. Uh, for us, something that was massively important. The, the early days of Frazio were uh, incredibly fun. 
um, we had such a open collaborative environment. Uh, we had this rule, um, the no assholes. So we yeah. found anyone who was a jerk, no matter how talented they were, uh, they would be sort of shown the door kind of naturally within a few months. Um, and that worked out really well for us. There was no, uh, anyone trying to crawl over each other for power or influence. It was all this sort of like, how can I help you? Oh, you made a mistake. That's funny. Even if it's like almost catastrophic, let's yeah. laugh about it and figure out a way to try to fix it. Um, let's uh, allow people a tremendous amount of freedom on this point where it's uncomfortable because they're smart and they'll go out in the world and figure out what needs to be done. Uh, and that warmth that we had um, still permeates through us to this day was uh, an amazing <laughs> catalyst of, of our future stability. So our retention rate is out through the door high. Our glass door scores are crazy high. We were ranked number one mid-sized business in America by Business Magazine, uh, as far as culture goes, uh, recently this last year. Um, and it's because we really put people first and not in just some sort of trite corporate way, but we want people to be happy and engaged and we understand that if the the right things and their neurochemistry are, are 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 flowing, you know, the proper hits of of dopamine and serotonin, and they're not just uh, filled with cortisol because they have a tyrannical boss who's always up their ass, who always demanding things, who always has unreasonable expectations, who doesn't show trust, who doesn't show forgiveness or friendliness. That like you get people who don't who get burned out faster, who don't want to stay, and. We just didn't want to build a place that was like it. It's, it's not worth it, right? It's not worth it for your own sort of, you know, uh, your own sanity, let alone that of, of everyone who works for you. Um, and, and there is like our culture is this sort of like, I'm a lone wolf grinder, man. You know, yeah. pull myself on my bootstrap. I just crush it. I kill, you know, and, and well, all right, that's fine. I guess in the early days. Yep. But, but how do you, how do you build this work family around you and, and how do you make it as stable as possible? And, and if you are like, if you are a, a tyrant parent, right. Those are the kids who leave the house when they're 15. Yeah. Right. And, and, and so like, to me, finding that balance and constantly assessing the value of culture, uh, even whether you're in a winning or losing locker room is something really worth spending a lot of time considering. And so I say that for the sellers who are out there and our MDS partners here, like make self-assessments. I, I sort of say this line a lot. It's like, if, uh, if you could clone yourself, would you want to work for yourself? And it's a good first question to ask. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I love so. that you guys, you know, a lot of people say stuff like this, right. And, uh, it's, it all sounds great, but you guys are actually like, like making it happen. You know, I like how you touched on like, you know, down to the neurological level of what's going on in someone's brain with cortisol, dopamine, um, and serotonin. Like you, you mentioned that you guys are doing mandatory vacations this year. Right. Yeah. And, and there's plenty of research we could dig up to show that that's going to have, you know, a positive impact on the way that, you know, people are thinking about things and looking at things. Uh, so I love that you guys are actually, you know, taking action on this stuff as well. And, and it's interesting, like the evolution of a lot of uh, entrepreneurs where, you know, like in the beginning, 
it's all about grinding, you know, and, and we're able to take that on for, you know, a variety of reasons for a little while. And then, and then you get a little bit of success and you start to get burnt out. Uh, and then there has to be this shift where you want to grow. If you want to grow, maybe you decide to just stay where you're at, but if you want to grow, you've got to give up some control, uh, you know, yeah. take a little risk and, and put some faith in other people. Um, and it's, it's interesting going through that. Uh, it's interesting watching other people go through it and come out on the other side, uh, successful. And yeah, you have to put your mind to it if you're able and look, the giving up stuff is, is really difficult. I know firsthand at one point I had roughly 600 people under me in some fashion or other. Uh, and I've given most of that away. Uh, and it can be sort of torturous because you're like, Oh, if I give this thing away, this is my baby. How is it going to perform? How is it going to do? Yeah. But if you, if you want to scale, you have to release your ego and be humble enough to know that like you have to let things go. And if you, um, you know, I always tell people like a sign of a good boss is someone who could leave and go on a six month ayahuasca trip and like yeah. come back and their business <laughs> is still functional. Yeah. Right. As, as if they're not sort of like this master puppeteer who's like working over things. Um, and when you do give up, and to put yourself in a mindset of, uh, of the employees or partners who are working with you, who are managing things. So when, if you are very tough on people and you demand results and you're unforgiving of mistakes, what you get is sort of like uh, what's called middle management conformity. And what that really is, is, is the, the propensity for when someone's paid reasonably well um, to be very safe. Right. What they want to do is protect what they have, not be um, really not really focus on ingenuity, creativity, abstract thinking, things that are sort of outside the norm. If that's your style and you expect perfection from results from people, then you're going to get those sort of results, which are sort of at that mid tier growth potential point. So you really have to create a culture that allows people the chance to be creative and to be open and to make mistakes. If you're going to really grow somewhere that special. Amazing, man. Yeah. I, I love how you're breaking it down and, and just how it's all about, you know, empowering people around you uh, to be confident, to make decisions. And I mean, look at where it's gotten you guys. I mean, you guys have, have done it, have accomplished amazing things. And I mean, what, what, what's like, how many brands have you guys bought? Or if you're able to share that information, like what are you guys sure. uh, managing on Amazon right now? So we're, we're over 200. I, I don't know our exact number right now. Um, but uh, yes, it's, it's pretty daunting. And, and to go past that point where in the early days when I knew every ASIN and could probably yeah. recall what their product descriptions were, at one point and to now get to a point where I probably know 40% of the brands, maybe, maybe it's 60%. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, is a, is a pretty, um, pretty daunting thing to consider. Amazing, man. Yeah. 200 plus brands. Yeah. That's a lot. It's a lot of, yes. a, lot of a lot of seller support cases. And <laughs> yeah. And, and likely a lot of, a lot of places where we still haven't found optimal efficiency. Right. 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 Even so opportunity. I mean, I, I'm, it's, it's interesting now that we have all, you know, these, you know, companies like Thrasio in the picture, but like Amazon, man, it's just like a, a sea of opportunity. I mean, it's, it's interesting the stuff that pops up on there. 
For sure. Yeah. So, I mean, what, what's next for Thrasio? What are your goals, you know, for the next year, where do you guys see this aggregator market going, you know, with all these new companies that have popped up, uh, you know, and all these sellers that, uh, are, you know, holding on to their business, uh, you know, waiting to get a, a buyout. Sure. I think this year for us is going to be about optimization and efficiency. We've built this thing so fast. When you build something super fast, it's not going to be perfect. So um, we're going to retool the engine a little bit and spend a lot of time deciphering what's really working for us and what do we need to do better. Um, and so for us, while we're still going to scale at, at what most people consider to be a crazy rate from an acquisition standpoint, I think we're going to take a little bit of a a step back yeah. and and just make sure that... Uh, that our machine is running as efficiently as possible. Um, and, and that to me is, it's a really important thing. Every successful large company has gone through these periods, sort of like massive growth. Okay, now what do you have? Are you doing everything right? Figuring that piece out, grow again. So what we're seeing is like, sort of like our first plateau as a company here uh, to um, slow things down a little bit, take a little time to digest you know, I mean, we had the Q4, I believe, I mean, it was Q3 or four. We acquired 85 million in EBITDA, I believe. Okay. In one quarter. And that's, that's a, that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> right. You, you know what I mean? So uh, for us, it's like, all right. And then plugging in all the other things we're getting much better at our, our affiliate relationships, our retail team, our direct consumer stuff, you know, all that stuff to make sure it's, it's aligning and doing correct is going to be our goal while still acquiring you know absurd amount of, of EBITDA per quarter. Um, but it will be a little bit less, I believe than, than years past okay. as far as the market's concerned. And I think this is, and let me just have a little caveat here. Like, um, well, I said early on, I'm good at sales. I don't do any selling really anyone who's an MDS or any seller, I just see as a person that I want to help maximize their returns for whatever it is they're trying to do. I, we're at a scale now where it's not going to impact me if you know I, I figure out a way to shave off a quarter point of a deal to get it under Thrasio's you know, wing. It's not, I don't see the world that way. I just see it as a place where I want to give as much information from the information that I have that can be helpful to people. So I think that, you know, not in a fidget spinner, beanie baby type way, but like we're definitely hitting the first wave of top market. Okay. Maybe you can look at it as machinations of like crypto's history where, uh, you, you know, you looked at when we entered the market to give you some perspective, uh, our multiples were, were super low because there just wasn't active competition. It really was, it was, it was very, disparate. And it was like, I'm going to retired accountant. I'll buy this brand. It was literally that, right? So we were institutionally first because of that multiples were, were fairly low. Um, you know, our debt was uh, percentage was high at the time, but by the time multiples started going up and the competition entered, we had restructured our debt. And, and because the multiples are low for the stuff we purchased, it allowed for a lot of forgiveness on performance, right? Cause the math still makes sense. Okay. It's like, oh, well, here's your debt line. Here's your, uh, here's your organic growth. Here's your overhead. It's still, it's still going to be a very good investment when comparing it to other potential investments that a, that a PE firm or investment house might look, look for. Right. Um, now we're looking at a scenario where everyone's like, oh, I want to be Thrasio. 
and they, they raised a, sh- a shit ton of money and they got some really smart people in some cases. And they just like, all right, let's just go do it. Let's put the pedal to the metal. They're starting with the higher debt rate lines and they're starting at a higher multiple point, which means their threshold for proof, right? Um, that Delta is, is much tighter. So, um, and they they were building things faster than we were. Okay. Right. So like, how do you have everything right when you're going that fast? Yeah. Right. Um, and they're buying post 2020 with the supply chain crisis and, and the COVID bump kind of ending. So all that being said is that like, I think some of the fast money that entered the market, uh, and by the way, I'm sure there's a bunch of companies will do great. I'm not, not decrying anyone at all by saying this, but I think there's going to be a shakedown in the market. Multiples can't go up forever because the math stops working and investors will be like, I'm not investing like that. A prove it point is coming for everybody. All right. You bought all this stuff. Can you grow it? Can you manage it? Can you deal with it? And this first wave gold rush, I think the bubble is going to burst to some extent and the market will reset. Will it reset to where um, we were when we started this thing in 2018? No, absolutely not. But it's going to have to like the the economics have to make sense. And so whether you are on our side looking to buy from sellers or your sellers looking to sell to buyers, it's really important that you look at the perspective of the world and the environment of what your what your other side is in. Right. As to say, like, if I'm looking to sell, um, I need to think about like, well, where's this market going? Yeah. You know, uh, and there's always this gap. Um, there's actually a good way to explain it is, is like, there's this, um, relationship responsibility gap. So, uh, someone did a psychological study. It was like 2000 couples and they're, and they're like, all right, out of the two of you, who's responsible for most of your day-to-day activities, chores, whatever it was across all those domains in the household. And what was funny is both men and women registered themselves as being like 60% responsible. Right. So there's, there's a bias against our view of the world. And and that applies in this sort of like give and take of a seller and buyer market. Yeah. And then people get anchored to like really stupid stuff. Yeah. Like though we, we know this sort of like the, the sort of like, machismo that can be in our world. And people want to tell that they got the best multiple. No one wants to say like, yeah, I sold my business. I kind of got screwed. That's a very rare thing to hear. Right. Um, And so really um, you have to anchor yourself to a likely reality is the asset that I have really as valuable as I think it is. Does my brand really have real equity or is it just important to me? Yeah. I've had people come up to me and be like, no, dude, my umbrella has a following. Yeah. <laughs> no, it doesn't have a, no, no. Right. So it's, um, it's figuring out the reality and then playing, playing your cards, right. You know, uh, not, not being too greedy to be like, all right, well, multiples have gone from, I'm making this up like, you know, two and a half X to five X. I'm just going to wait till it gets to eight X to sell. Right. Well, what if that market collapses? Then where are you? Like, what if the buying power of these aggregators goes down by 50%? Then, then where are you? Um, you know, like is, is the long-term desire really your, um, 
the, the best thing for you to do. And if you don't think that you're likely to fall victim to such things, just look at other markets and, and how people deal with them. Yeah. And most people like a crypto crypto environment's a perfect thing. Oh, it's 64,000. I'll just wait till it's a hundred thousand. And it probably will get there one day, yeah. but in the meantime, now, you don't have 40, 48 or 44 or something, <laughs> whatever it is. Yeah. So you, yeah. And you didn't put a stop loss in there to capture some of your, like to, to capture some of your, uh, you know, your, your earnings there. So yeah. I, and again, I could be totally wrong. I don't, I don't have the future ball. Yeah. You know, like I don't have the eight magic eight ball, but uh, I think it's coming. Some of the other signs are like, I'm just getting calls from people who work at other places. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like, well, it, it, it remains to be, to be seen, but it's something that I'd be really aware of and you're never going to time a market perfectly, but you can avoid making a really bad timing decision. Yeah. Yeah. And I think on the seller side, I mean, it's important to know like why, if you're hanging on, like, why are you hanging on? It better not be because you saw a couple posts on Facebook that had like, you know, 12 X multiple in it. If that's your why, then you're not standing on anything strong. You know, it's, it's gotta be, you know, you believe in the brand or, you know, you've taken a look at the niche and you think it's going to, you know, it's, it's got more to go or, you know, or you just want to be stubborn and you want to hold on to it. Like, even if that's your why, <laughs> yep. uh, you know, that's better it's, than just kind of being anchored to something you saw out in the middle of the no out and out of nowhere. Uh, and another thing too, sometimes it's just like, Hey, I've launched 15 products. So my EBITDA is will be much lower this year, but any of the smart aggregators can work on a deal that will get you paid for that upside. Yeah. Do you have any advice? Like what, what, what can sellers do to kind of just prepare on, on their end when, you know, or, or maybe to feel a little more secure about the decisions that they're making? I mean, for me, understanding what's tenable for you in a deal is number one. This is, this is what I want. This is what I'll take. And this is where my deal has to fall into for me to say yes. I think that's, that's a, I mean, it's a really basic thing, but it's a really good thing to, to understand, um, to consider what things you are flexible on to make your business more attractive to potential buyers, right? Hey, I'm open to a long-term earnout. I'm, I'm open to continued management. I have uh, a pipeline of products that I could set up and do those, uh, do those setups for launch after I sell, like all those potential advantages, right? Like I will understand at that very moment what my fair market value is. Understanding what you have. Just again, just because you love your umbrella and you think it's the best thing since sliced bread doesn't mean the world thinks it's a real brand with massive potential. Right. Um, match, you know, like that, that to me is like those, those basic levels of understanding are massively important. Understanding your books, being realistic with your expectations based on previous performance. So if you had a one-time marketing event, we just had one like uh, randomly on Drew Barrymore's show, she just pitched Angry Orange without us doing anything. She just okay. actually liked the product and talked about it. <laughs> Right. So maybe we'll be able to take that, that clip, run some ads for two months and sell $2 million, $3 million worth of product. But that's a one-time lift. Yeah. Like that won't be a, that won't be a long-term sustaining things there. There was all the stuff with COVID there's, you know, your competition getting suspended. There's 
out of stocks for competition and you were and there all this stuff, right? Like be realistic with it. Don't try to oversell your thing because it'll just come up in diligence. Yeah. Be like, this yeah. is what I want. This is what I'm willing to take. This is what I really have. Right. And this is why I think this value is, is here. And then listen when you get feedback from people who are on the buying side, because they're going to be much more dispassionate about what you have and that's their job. Yeah. But that will help you sort of set a, a realistic reality. And again, when a, when a deal is good for both sides, both sides should feel like they've kind of won, not dominated, but yeah. kind of won. Yeah. And that's where, that's where the, the happiness factor sort of comes in. <clears throat> Nice, man. I like it. I think the way you laid it out, it can kind of prepare you for whatever pops up along the way. And then you have your standards to fall back on. Uh, for sure. So yeah, I, I like that, man. Uh, I think that's great advice. And it's like, it's, it's, it's something people probably have heard and they know, but it's like those things that a lot of us kind of skip over, I think is, is yeah. we just forget to do something as simple as saying, Hey, what are the five top things I want to get out of this deal? You know, and, and we try to keep it all up here and for whatever reason, you know, it doesn't happen. And then we kind of lose sight of it. Uh, so I for sure. Great advice. Um, well, John, I know we're getting close to the end of our time here, man. I, I want to wrap up and just kind of talk about, uh, you know, like how community has helped you uh, throughout your journey and how that kind of landed you up with the, it, with this relationship uh, with MDS and, and, you know, how that's working out for you and, and for Thrasio. I think the great thing about MDS is it, it really does a great job of, of blending our personal and business lives where it, it kind of just seems like it doesn't really seem like business, right? Like we're out just, just having a good time, enjoying what life has to offer. Um, so yeah, man, like how has community helped you along your way, along the way? And, and how are you continuing, continuing to leverage that? Yeah. I have a, a friend of mine uh, who's done really well in a sort of similar space to ours, but more, uh, a little bit different. And uh, he said, one of the things I love about, uh, you know, my, my work is I get to go around the world collecting cool people. <laughs> um, so to me, that's, that's been one of the greatest joys of, of this journey is I've literally done that. Right. And when you surround yourself with people who've had success, it doesn't always begot success, but it certainly increases the potential of it. Um, and when you get people who are, um, have a threshold of success where they're no longer too afraid, too afraid to share information that can be useful to others, all the better. Right. So when we can share our, our, our suffering and, and, and losing stories, so someone else can learn from it before they screw up and do something we did, or um, they have tips for us to help us optimize our business or, or get in a better position to sell. Um, all those things are wonderful. They actually, that brings me real authentic joy when I can help someone do anything to make their business better. And I know that eventually that will lead to my reputation being good and, and, you know, things coming our way. But for me to, to have that uh, is great. And also when you're, when, you know, when you're in small companies, like a lot of MDS sellers are, you need a network. You don't have 400 people at your office, right? It's like you and your laptop. So without that sort of like bond and ability to connect with other people, life can be a little bit lonely. You know, so for me, uh, things like MDS offer a, a sort of a, a home away from home in some ways, 
right? And something to look forward to. I, I always love that in life where I, I always like having a planned trip. Yeah. It's not really about the trip. It's just like, I have something that's going to be interesting in my life coming forward. Yeah. Um, and, and that to me is, uh, is, is something of real value. Yeah, man. I love, uh, I love the group as well. And, and having all these great events to look forward to is, is just, uh, it's just such a good feeling. Uh, uh, like you said, it's, it's, it's not the event itself. It's, I mean, the events are great, but just that thought of like, Hey, I'm going to get away for a little bit. And I know I'm going to have a good time at an amazing place and hang out with some great people. Like all the, all the stuff that you want is there. Once you go to a few events, you know, it's going to be there. Uh, and that's a, that's a good feeling. Um, and I'm glad our paths have crossed. Uh, like I said, I've, I've had the opportunity to hang out with you a few times and it's, it's always been great as well as Brandon, uh, from Thrasio as well. And I'm excited to meet more of the team, uh, also for sure, dude. Yeah. Um, oh man, before we wrap up, I just got a couple of quick questions. I'll ask you just meant to be kind of fun, get your uh, thoughts on a, on a couple of things, uh, and then we'll wrap up. Okay. Let's do it. All right, man. So we'll start, we'll start with just a simple one here. What's, uh, what's the best business advice you've received that comes to mind? Uh, best business advice. Um, for me, I mentioned it earlier in the show, but if you want success, you have to not care about it. Um, a couple of things that come from that, right. Is like the first one is the sort of hero's journey starts with the fool if you're going to do anything new and disruptive and interesting and special, you're going to have to be very uncomfortable. Uh, and, and you're probably going to do things that are very stupid, mm -hmm. but you have to have this sort of positive delusion that allows yourself to, to still be optimistic. Right. And, and that to me is, is that optimism is, is not necessarily caring about success in a, in a weird sort of way. If you get obsessed with the idea of just the outcome, um, you're going to drive yourself nuts. You're going to be too conservative. Um, you're, you're not going to be creative and free and, and, and sort of happy. Um, so for me, it's, it's, it's all that sort of stuff wrapped up in there is be positive. Know you're going to screw up 80% of the things keep going. Uh, and eventually you'll find something that, that works. I love it, man. I think, uh, you know, you, you touched on, on some great things there. And, uh, I actually have a piece of advice that you've given me, uh, that you gave at an event actually that really stuck with me And it. It just, you simplified something in two words, uh, that has been very difficult for me. And I think a lot of other people, and you said normalizing disagreement, uh, yes. something yeah. I heard you say. And I mean, that kind of, that impacted me in, in business and in my personal life as well. Just like somehow growing up, you know, I got it in my head that I shouldn't, it, disagreement was uncomfortable for whatever reason. Yeah. I would kind of shy away from it. Uh, and, and now I've just looked at it differently. Uh, I, I, I think it's, you know, I think it's, uh, I always think of something, I believe this was Jordan Peterson who said this is like, you know, problems can sort of be like a, a lizard in the corner of your room. And if you ignore them one day, they'll grow into dragons and, and yeah. you won't be able, you won't be able to deal with them. And I think there's something really real to that, particularly in interpersonal relationships. Yes. If you're just harboring resentment and keeping things in and not addressing regular conflict, then you'll have explosions and yeah. things will be, you know, and relationships fall apart from stuff like that. Yeah. It's going to get out one way or another. It's going to show yes. up, you know, so for sure. Yeah. Great advice, man. Good stuff. Um, 
Well, what do you guys feel like is working for you right now in business? I mean, whether it's like specific to Amazon or just specific to running a large business, like what's something that comes to mind that's working well for you guys right now? Um, surround yourself with uh, smart people who enjoy solving problems because there'll always be a lot of problems to solve and be malleable with your expectations and your vision. Don't be too stubborn. Things change. You got to adjust to the change. Right on. Love it. All right, man. I got one more for you. Uh, what, what's a, what's something you hear often on the internet, whether it's business advice, personal advice, um, that you don't really agree with that you've kind of had this experience and you think it's, it, it actually plays out differently. Yeah. Yeah. For me, like the, the way that people present themselves in uh, a public forum or online or in business meetings is so often detached from the reality of who they actually are or the optimal way to communicate with another human being. So one of the things I like to do whenever I'm in a serious engagement with anybody uh, is to have fun. Yeah. Is to go the opposite direction to, to use as little corporate sort of gobbledygook speak that everyone else uses to actually search for humor, to find um, places where you can enjoy each other's company and get to people, get to know people on a real personal level, as opposed to keeping things super stiff. Like what I found is that we sort of went through this wave of, um, uh, I, I think it's, it's, you know, the pendulum swung way too far in the stiffness, this sort of like conservatism through political correctness in, in some regards, right? Like where the pendulum in the eighties was like um, really hyper-religious, you know, uh, mothers who were like, you can't play video games. You can't listen to music, this kind of music. And it was sort of that. And now we've swung to this, like, be careful with every single word you could say, because whatever word you say could cancel and ruin you forever. Yeah. Both of, both of those extremes are not good. Mm-hmm. And like people want to have legitimate human connection. They want to enjoy other people's companies. They want to be relaxed in other people's company. So can you create a positive human connection with people and not take life so goddamn seriously. Yeah. In general, that's the other piece to me as well. Like, you know, take your goals seriously, but not the journey in your life. Spend time to enjoy it. Be relaxed. Try to make as many positive engagements with the world as you can, uh, as you move forward in this thing and you'll be a happier person for it. Nice, man. I, I love it. That's a, a great culture, a great attitude to develop. Before we before we jump off, do you have like any like questions, kind of like icebreaker questions that help you kind of like cut through the crap and like and get to know someone a little bit, whether you use it in hiring or, you know, whatever the case may be? Um, my, my strategy, and it's on a case by case basis, is, is I will find something disarming and hopefully very humorous. Okay. That is, that is also maybe like, uh, outside of, uh, uh, the sort of polite norms to, to open up a conversation or to, to, um, engage with people right away. So I, I can't give you this. I can give you, I probably off, off this one. I, I've said some very, uh, you know, off color things in very yeah. serious meetings and they've worked super well for me. Yeah. Let's just put it, let's just put it that way. Right. Um, so, uh, for me, uh, and I actually found that I used to wait tables with um, uh, at the Beverly Hills Hotel, like way back okay. in the day when I was just out of college. And I used I waited on like every famous person ever, you know, I was bartending too. And I, I tried like the super stiff, polite approach 
Okay. And then one day I was just like, just screw it. I'm just going to be goofy and fun and enjoy myself and whatever. And, uh, and not take it so seriously. And what I found was, uh, that all of a sudden my engagements with them improved greatly. And then I brought it into every other phase of my life. I'm talking to investors when I'm talking to potential sellers, like, can we have a laugh? Can we enjoy this thing? Uh, do you really want to hear a spiel about how amazing Thrasio is in all of our metrics? Is right. that what's going to actually close the deal? Does that work when you're trying to get a girl to go out with you? Right. To yeah. be like, I have $7.8 million in my bank account. Maybe that, maybe that works. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> but like, you know, what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? But like uh, the, the, the 15 other things you could say, is that really how it works or is it something else? So is there, is there a little joie de vie, joy to life that you can attach to? Um, so anyway, I don't know if that answers the question, but well, that's I kind of does, how I see man. it. And I think it kind of, it, it touches on something special and the unique ability that, that you have. And some people have is the ability to kind of just assess any situation and judge and, and pick up on the vibe and, and what someone's going through and, you know, what may or may not work or should or should not be said is, you know, when it's, it's special when you can accomplish that in a unique way with each different person that you interact with. And it's hard yeah. to explain that, right? Cause it's, and it's a it's, feeling. It's, it know? is a feeling, it's a simple way. If someone's looking for a, a, a way to, a, a pathway to start to it, you can always be self-effacing and make fun of yourself. Yeah. And if you consider yourself clever and, and you do it with warmth, you can make fun of others too. Yeah. Right. You know, so if I was meeting an investor and he was wearing like a Patagonia vest, I might make a joke about how that's like a uniform for douchey investment bankers. Yeah. But you're not that way at all. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Like, it's just sort of like that little, that'll get a chuckle because they know it sort of has some truth to it. And like, yep. uh, and then, then all of a sudden like, all right, well, we're, we're there. Right. Yeah. We're at this point of like actual being humans together. Yeah. And great things can be accomplished. I think when you break that ice and get comfortable and, and have a common goal as well. Right. So it's a great way to, to get things done. <laughs> totally, man. Yeah. John, man, it has been great chatting with you. Thank you so much for coming, uh, coming on and taking time to speak, uh, with me, man. I really appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to seeing you at another event soon. Yeah, man. I'll see you. Uh, I think Austin's next month, right? Yep. Austin is next. Yeah. yeah. All right, man. See you there, man. Are you a million dollar seller looking to network with like-minded entrepreneurs? Apply for membership now at milliondollarsellers.com. Leave us a review and subscribe now so you don't miss out on next week's episode.